Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's going on? We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. Welcome to another Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, as it has been for all of them. It's only the guest name that changes. And we've got to change the profession. Um, we have been very used to hearing from screenwriters and um, directors and even the odd producer. But uh, I've yet to get into the, uh, the other parts of the crew until this minute. Welcome, Dan Martin, special effects guy. Hello. Hello. And how the devil are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. It's a beautiful day outside and I'm in my workshop still. <laughs> <laughs> is, is your workshop hot in the summer and cold in the winter? That is exactly the case. Yeah. Oh. Although we're lucky enough to have a loading bay directly outside our main doors, so okay. when it gets really bad, I can just open everything up and we get kind of wind tunnel effects, which is nice. Indeed, it's like the, the bane of all big open spaces for doing work, practical work like yourself, oh, yeah. is that they, they respond to the weather in a very complimentary way as opposed to... Yes, indeed, it's there, there are <laughs> amplifiers for it. <laughs> Well, look, the reason we're talking to you on the Frightfest preview podcast is that you're actually doing a session as in one of the discovery screens on Sunday the 28th at 7pm, I'm reliably informed. Yes, indeed. About a career in special effects. That is correct. It's a sort of... It's, it's going to be a sort of just a, a conversation. Uh, I'm going to do some demonstrations. Yeah. Um... But then, because some of those are just process, and I can only take so long explaining what I'm doing, mm. um, while that's happening, I'll sort of be fielding questions or prattling on telling anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess we should... I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll rattle off, use it with reference to the Frightfest preview, just for the people that may not have seen it yet. So, so we've, got, we've got from Harry Potter franchise and Batman Begins to more recently films like High Rise... And I didn't know you'd done Human Centipede 2. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the stuff, I, I, always, I, I always bulk a little bit when I look at my IMDb page, which obviously I do every day. Um, uh, when it says known for, and yeah. then it says things like Batman Begins and Harry Potter. Um, I did work on them, but in a very junior capacity. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of people on those films. Um, and so, really, when I talk about my work, I talk about the stuff, the more recent stuff, stuff I've been lucky enough to design. So, go um, on then, Dan. You, you, if we're going to do a quick edit, then, if I was sat there typing, what would you say Dan Martin is known for, then, in terms of what we've seen on screen? In I don't the mind last... staying in. I, I like people going, oh, OK, he's not trying to take credit for stuff he was just part of. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, I mean, I was lucky enough that I... Um, I sort of, I rocketed, I decided I wanted to do my own stuff. The big films uh, are definitely the sort of the shining chalice when you're starting out. Everyone, mm. 
everyone wants to work for the big studio pictures because they're exciting. You know, mm. they're the ones where you've seen all the big special effects and you think, that's what I want to do. I want to be part of that. But um, to be honest, uh, you, you kind of end up doing a lot of the same stuff time over time just because, you know, scale means repetition. Mm. Um, and that's kind of, it was wanting to avoid that, that that was one of the things that drew me into this kind of profession. Um, and so with the smaller things, I get to see everything through from beginning to end. Even now that my work, my jobs are getting bigger and I am bringing in collaborators and, and freelancers and so on yeah. to work under me, I'm still very much involved in every part of the process. And I guess, you know, the same can be said for the people at the top of the, the huge films, which is not somewhere I'm at with my career yet. But, yeah. Um, so I, I decided I wanted to start doing my own stuff um, relatively early on, um, and I was I was doing small jobs in between other projects. So I'd, I'd go and do a stint on something like, you know, the fourth Harry Potter or something, and then I'd be doing smaller projects, just shorts and, you know, promos and that kind of stuff, music videos, um, just to sort of get my credits up. And I was lucky enough when um, Johannes Roberts' short film F um, which I was, um, I was recommended to by uh, the, a DOP. Yeah. Um, we did that short together, and then the next year it got picked up for a feature. So I designed the feature. That was the first feature film I, I designed the effects for. Okay. And I was lucky in that it went to cinema. So immediately I had a, a film that had been released in the cinema uh, as a designer, which is a, a, a very fortuitous place to find yourself as a, as a relatively new kid on the block. Does does this, when does designer does designer sort of um, conjure up to those people who are looking to get people on their films the idea that you've you've worked from blank piece of paper to to the thing that gets in front of the camera is that what that, yeah, is that, what mean, that means yes completely when I'm when I'm brought on I there's there's sort of different tiers of. Uh, of, of where the job can be at. So sometimes mm. uh, the director will have already talked to a, a production designer, yeah. uh, and it, it, it tends to depend which part of the job I'm on. Because my um, because my uh, my role uh, covers so many different areas, and I sort of I, I jump between departments almost because I do you know action props, which are technically part of art department, uh, creature work which is either its own department or is part of our department. Mm -hmm. um, prosthetic makeup effects, which sometimes falls under makeup and then sometimes falls becomes its own department. So there's, uh, it's sort of all, and costume props as well, we do sometimes suits and stuff. Yeah. Um, which, uh, what I do covers so many different areas of the, of the project that yeah. um, depending on what area I'm covering for a job, it'll be at a different process, uh, stage when I, when I get brought it. Yeah. Um, so, for example, with, um, uh, with Other Side of the Door, another one of Johannes' films, uh, Fox had already had a, a, um, a concept artist um, do some drawings for that. Uh, and although I was, allowed, I was lucky enough to be allowed to take it in my own direction, uh, which I did in collaboration with the makeup designers, uh, Gemma Harwood and Bella Kurikshank, um, that there was already something there. Whereas with other things, I've been lucky enough to, to sort of start with a completely blank piece of paper. And that, that is the distinction with the designer. Um, okay. Whereas if you're doing uh, prosthetic makeup effects, whether it's you know, casualty work or gore, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect a production to have brought on a separate designer because... You know, one of the reasons I'm being 
brought on is very specifically the way that I sculpt those things or the way that I approach those things. Okay, okay. So, so in that sense, the kind of um, what we know as, in, 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 and because this is practice, because we what we know as the innovations in, in, in the art form that came from, say, um, American World for London yes. or um, the kills in, say, Friday the 13th and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Is there still room then for innovation in terms of what you're doing, or are you trying to sort of perfect what already exists, as it were? I, th I think it's both. I think it's both of those things. The okay. like my favourite part of this job, hands down, is problem solving. Okay. So uh, I, but, but one of the things that I I like to do is if we know, if we know, you know, talking to the director, we know what we want to show, um, and we know how we're going to do it. Yeah. But I can, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a film nerd, and I can tell you <laughs> 10, 20 different ways that that's already been done. Right. So okay. one, one of the things I, I bring to it is saying, particularly for, like, straight horror, yeah. is being able to say, well, look, okay, this is probably the best example of that. This is an interesting example of that. This is another version of it. Let's do something slightly different. Okay. But also... We all know how to solve that problem, and that's why we've seen it before, because it's something, it's a problem that's been solved. So let's right, make yeah. our life more difficult and in a way that we can solve. <laughs> so if we introduce more problems to our process yeah. and make it something that people, introduce aspects that other people would have, would have shied away from before because it made the job more difficult, we've already got a head start on them because they've solved it once. I know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's, let's, put in, let's put in this camera move or let's make it all one shot or let's make it shot from over here or let's have it, you know, introduce something about how we're filming it that makes it different. And that gives you something really unique and often much more unexpected. Horror audiences are so savvy now. Mm. You know, you watch an 80s film with a bald guy, you know he's going to get shot in the head or his head crushed because <laughs> it, it saved money not to have to put a wig on a dead body. Yeah, so yeah, it's always yeah. the bald guy. You know, there's, there, there, are, there, are, there are effects tropes, just like there are tropes for everything else. When did, when did you start to see that effects trope become the, the pattern? I think it's just just exposure. Like I, you know, I, I live and I lived and breathed this stuff from quite a young age. Yeah. Um, and I like. I think a lot of effects artists have exactly the same story. But it, it all came from enjoying, like, from liking magic and magic tricks when I was young. Okay. Um, and and then when I was like eight or nine, I guess um, they started asking at school, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" <laughs> Right. And, uh, and initially the answer was a magician. But at around about the same time, I got my hands on a book about the history of film monsters, movie monsters. And, and it talked about special effects artists. And that, that, was, a, that was a job. <laughs> and it never occurred to me that that was something that people... That was a viable answer. When fireman, you, fireman, policeman, magician... Oh, effects artist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think previously, before it was, it was, it was effects artist, before that it was magician, and before that it was probably dinosaur. So <laughs> I was told I wasn't allowed to be a dinosaur, so... Those were fr frustrating years, though, so effects artist <laughs> was the answer. Yeah. Um, and it, but it is. I mean, if you think about the, uh, you know, the, right at the beginning of special effects, uh, Georges Melier was a magician, and he started doing special effects for film as a way of doing uh, magic tricks. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I guess, I guess, you, yeah, it makes perfect sense because obviously a magic trick is just a sleight of hand that makes me exactly. see the magic and not 
not yeah. the process. And equally, yeah. on screen, you're trying to make me see a bullet enter a forehead, not how you made a bullet enter a forehead. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. I mean, if you go back even further into theatre, you look at something like Peppard's Ghost. Do you know yeah. Peppard's Ghost? I don't know. Go on. So Peppard's Ghost is an old showing a ghost on stage trick. Right. Uh, and it got translated into an old... Um, uh, an old cinema trick as well, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it just involves light. It, it, I don't really want to say Peppard's Ghost because it's one of those things where 90% of your audience will know it, but for the 10% that don't, I'm probably going to spoil something. Well, let, let, them, them, well, let, them, let, them, let them Google it. We'll accept this. Yeah, this. Google it if you want to, but it's always sad. It's always disappointing when you see behind the curtain. <laughs> but, it's a, but it's an old theatre trick got that allowed okay. a spectre to appear on stage. Yeah. Uh, and it got adapted for film. Um, like, I think a lot of the early ingenuity still leaves me absolutely breathless. I love, I love that stuff. Um, Lon Chaney's, um, uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde transformation, um, yeah. was unbelievably innovative and was sort of used again. The same trick was used in, um, uh, Black Sunday for the unaging of the witch as she comes back to life. Really? Um, yeah, because it was, I mean, these are things that you can't do nowadays because it's, we, we don't, you know, but A, CGI has happened, so there's no reason to do it like this, but B, these only work with black and white film. Uh, but okay. what they did was they do two sets of makeup on the same actor, one in green makeup and one in red makeup, and then they have a transition gel in front of the camera. So when it's filming through the red gel, it can only see the green makeup. And then when it's filming through the green gel, it can only see the red makeup. Jesus. And so they'd have the young makeup and the old makeup done in monotone, and they'd just shift between these two colours. And, uh, and the, the wrinkles would disappear. That makes me wonder then about, about in this day and age, obviously the, the great debate that happens in cinema seems to be, um, you know, digital or film. Mm. So does that make a difference now to you in terms of your work? If you're working in, in analogue as opposed to digital, does that make a difference to you? Uh, I mean, it makes a difference to how I approach things. I mean, if I'm shooting at 4K as opposed yeah. to 35, then I know that I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to get away with less. Okay, <laughs> There's, okay. um, everything's, everything's subject to a little more scrutiny. Um, and colours behave a little bit differently. But, I mean, that's what camera tests are for. It's, I don't think it makes that much difference to me. It makes a much bigger difference. Well, some of it makes a much bigger difference to VFX because, obviously, all that stuff's ready to go digital. It doesn't yeah. need to be scanned. And even more so, if you look at single per film stock, as yeah. soon as you start putting square tracking markers on something that isn't perfectly aligned in the gate, yeah. then when a computer tries to track it, it goes mental because it's, you know, this, this supposed reference shape, this constant square, is actually sort of parallaxing all over the place. Okay. And, um, and it becomes very hard to track things. I, mean, I think that's really, the, that's really the space where the ability to innovate has really blown up, is in the, com is in the collaboration between post and, and, uh, and, and physical effects. Because it's, 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 unless you've got, like, you know, Gollum money, it's, yeah. uh, it's the G in CGI that's the problem. It's computer-generated imagery yeah. that often lets things down. Um, some, yeah, of the no. best, some of the best modern effects are composited or, you know, you've digitally taken out a puppeteer or, you know, digitally allowed something to be revealed. Um, okay, well, I, mean, I must admit, I told a lie at the beginning of this. I didn't mean to. Um, I interviewed a guy called Adam Wright, who... who um, He's a, who makes puppets and machinery and stuff. He did. Oh, uh, nice. He had worked on Harry Potter, but the one, the piece of work that I could, I could remember now is he made a whole, like a 120 foot long 
mini railway thing where a train run run over run over it and stuff. Um, but he's oh, done he's done lots of automaton things. I think on the Harry, one of the Harry Potter films, can't remember which one it is now, so forgive me, Adam, if you ever hear this. Um, and that, because that was a long time ago and I interviewed him, but I asked him the question about, you know, was, was I guess in the early noughties it would have felt like a, norm, a, a normal question, but now it hasn't happened, it doesn't work. It was like, did, you, did he see CGI as a threat to his living? But actually, his ability to make real things that are in camera, to work with CGI is, is, is often... And what has proved to be the best way to absolutely stuff in yeah. Film. It, it, think of think of post work and VFX as the as the glue and stitches between the real world and the effects world. Mm. Um, and yeah, like every now and then you need a little bit of an element or you need a little spit and polish to hide something. But for the most part, it's about putting everything together. And no, I think that's. That's where it all comes together. Now that's the post side, the post side of it, sort of doing it. But in terms of your conversations with, say. Like you're going to have the first conversation, I'm guessing, with with a director who's saying, "I want to, I want this, I want that, yeah. I want the other." But then, uh, when when you've agreed that, what's the conversation like then with the DOP, who obviously is the one that's going to light and shoot it, as it were? Yeah, it's interesting. Like my my exposure to the DOP can vary wildly, job to job, and right. it kind of depends what the mindset of the director is. Because yeah. sometimes having had all those conversations with the director is plenty. Mm. Um, and some DOPs like specifically like to talk to me and, and talk stuff through and some are just like the director has chosen the shots I trust that this will work in the shot that I've been told to do on it okay. because Dan has already had these conversations with the director right. so why wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay but does, does, does that ever influence does, does the subsequent conversation with the DOP then affect the, the design process for you? Uh, not hugely, no, because I kind of just have to deal with whatever I'm told at that point. Okay. Um, like, if one of the things that happens is if you're working, especially on lower budget stuff. Yeah. Um, as Andy uh, said to you the other day, I think you were interviewing him for Ibiza Undead. I was. Indeed. As Andy was saying, you know, when you're working with lower budget films, obviously I can come in all guns blazing, super excited about doing the biggest version of the effect. Mm. But that's that's no way to run a business. They <laughs> <laughs> can't afford it. And often, like, I, I have to curtail myself, because I am like a kid in a sweet shop. My pitch list, when I come in, when I do a breakdown for a film, mm. my pitch list is like a Christmas list. It's all stuff I want to do. I'm like, pay for this, buy me this. Okay, okay. <laughs> which, isn't, which isn't realistic some of the time. So, you know, I'll, if I know where I'm headed, I'll just pitch what I think works. But sometimes I'll say, look, these are the bells and whistles versions, and these are the, the dialed back versions, because sometimes the director hasn't, doesn't even think about wanting one of these things. I, go, I come in and go, okay, well, you, you might want an effect here, you might want an effect here, you might want an effect here. And the director will say, oh, no, 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 that's, that happens off screen. It's important to me that that happens off screen. It's like, okay, well, that's the line right out of the budget there. Um, but when I first get sent the script, because, I mean, obviously that's where it all starts. Yeah. Um, I go through it and I mark out every single place that I think there might be an effect needed. Okay. Um, and, I, I, you know, but I'm wildly overestimating because it's far better for me to have said, okay, well, this obviously will need an effect. And for them to say, yeah, no, no, it probably doesn't. <laughs> than, for, than for me to turn up completely unprepared for something. What would be something like that then where you might go... Uh, you might identify potential effects and it not be needed. Is it just because it's not in camera or...? Yeah, sometimes it's because it's not in camera. Like, maybe tonally the director thinks that it isn't something that they want to show. Okay. Um, which could be to do with the ramping up of, um, 
could be to do with the ramping up of the um, of the tone. Like you know, you don't want to you, you want to come in and show the audience what they're getting right at the beginning, mm. but you don't want to consistently overblow it and then have nothing left for the end for the mm. home stretch. <laughs> um, that's okay, okay. So, that, so in a sense, that's like rising drama, isn't it? You yeah, exactly. It's, it's exactly the same thing, and I think that that's where what that's where the the weird success of Human Centipede Two um, comes from. Yeah. Because, it, and again, this is sadly missing from the uh, from the censored version. But yeah. in the uncut version, it's a perfect ramping crescendo of of obscenity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it becomes like a taste barometer. <laughs> um, you know, you don't have probably 99.9% .9 of the time, you don't have someone just wandering into a screening of Human Centipede 2. Um, so the audience there is a horror audience. They're a seasoned audience and they know what to expect. Yeah. And the response that most horror audiences have to the grotesque is laughter. Yes. Like, the more obscene it is, the more they're likely to chuckle. Um, and that's what's, that was what was fascinating, sitting at the back of a screen watching you know, our work play out on Centipede 2, which I should add, I wasn't the key designer on. I ran the, I ran the job, but I ran it for a, an effects artist called John Schoonrad. Mm. Um, uh, sitting there watching it play out, the audience starts laughing, you know, oh, he's shooting people in car parks and breaking legs with crowbars. But then as the film goes on and the, the stuff gets more and more twisted and more and more unpleasant, the laughter slowly dies out as everyone finds their own personal boundary. Mm. And by the very end of the film, I've seen you've seen the uncut version. I have, but, yes, yes. Yeah, but by the very end of the film, when that moment happens, mm. no, no one, well, maybe me, <laughs> no one else is laughing. Um, <laughs> because we've, we've sort of, we've gone past that limit for everyone. And I think that that's a really interesting thing about it, but something that's completely lost by the censored version, because what they chose to cut is, is quite mishmash. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I mean, I remember, it, it kind of peaks and troughs. I was going to say, I remember that, that, that specific experience of what you're willing to show the audience as opposed, in a visceral sense, Yeah, was, was what, I remember one film particularly where that, that got me was uh, Man Bites Dog, where yeah. you laugh a lot and then suddenly you show the mutilated post remains of a, of a killed and raped couple in a kitchen and, yeah. you're, not, and you're not laughing anymore. Because yeah, the, it's the, pulling the rug out from under someone. Because a laugh and a scream are both uh, releases of pressure. Yeah. You build, you build up tension, either you know, you, you build up um, stress and tension in your audience, mm. uh, and and that can be released with either a laugh or a scream, uh, or a gasp. So, so in that sense, do you find yourself sort of trying to say to a director, do you want to dial it down here because you've got a, you, if you turn up to eleven at minute twenty. You've got another 60 minutes to go nowhere because you've just took that. To be honest, that kind of depends on my relationship with the director. Okay. Um, some directors, I'll, I'll make suggestions like that. Other directors, I know my place and I don't. Um, but it's, to be honest, like the, the way I'll, I'll approach it is yeah. I'll, I'll bring in options for dialing it to 11 every single time. Okay. Because I need them to know what their options are with the range that we can go. And if they want my opinion or if I know them well enough to know that they'll be receptive to my opinion, then I will mm. give it. Right. Um, but otherwise, you know, sometimes it's just a bump. Sometimes I'm there to provide a, t a service and they don't necessarily want my, that type, that end of my autistic mm. Is there, is there, now, forgive me ignorance here, is there like a kind of, in, in the special effects, if you all sit in a room together, a few of you, and, you, and, you, and you're all agreeing on what's great, is there like the Citizen Kane of effects in a horror film? 
is the, is uh, the, do you, do is you mean the, a specific? You mean is there a specific effect that, uh, as a, as effects artists, we yeah. all say yeah. is amazing? I mean, to be honest, I think there's quite a lot. <laughs> Um, you know, there's always going to be this, the early stuff that, that blew us away. So, yeah. you know, we're all going to be talking about The Thing and The Fly and, you know, Terminator and Robocop and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but what you get now are really lovely little moments that you discover in films. Okay. Sometimes not, you know, not necessarily horror films, not necessarily good films, because, you know... Good or bad special effects can destroy a good film, but they can't make a bad film good. <laughs> um, so yeah, like we'll say, oh my goodness, did you see such and such? Or I wonder, you know, I wonder how much how much they did in camera for that. Or like we, you get discussions happening between social groups of effects artists, certainly. Um, and every now and then you come across like an old thing, and you think. Oh my God! Yeah, with the restrictions they had, that's especially impressive. Like, mm. our, the technology we have available to us, whether it's robotics or you know digital effects, or even the fact that back in the old days they didn't have things like silicon. Right. You know, yeah, we, yeah, we've yeah. got we, we're so lucky with what we have available to us now um, technologically. I mean, silicon really sort of came about at the very beginning of my career, and it's just like the idea of of some of the stuff they were doing back then without it. It's just absolutely spectacular. I suppose that's like me try thinking, I could be typing a screenplay on a typewriter, but I'm damn glad I've got a laptop. Yeah, or a quill. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's that big a leap, the silicone yeah, well, from what I, was. I, well, I think, yeah, I think so. I mean, the silicon robotics and CGI together yeah. are the difference between a, a, like being able to speak into a into a microphone and have your text come out on the screen as words <laughs> and and a quill. <laughs> now we know your your fingerprints are on um, Ibiza Undead at Fright Fest this year. Is, are, yes. there any, are there any other films where we'll see your fingerprints? Uh, yeah, The Chamber. Okay. Is playing, which is a, a nice tense little thriller. I spoke to him um, on the podcast already as well. Oh, did you? Yeah, I'll have yeah, to, yeah. Have to, have to, is, that, is it up? It Can is indeed, yes. Oh, yeah, I'll dig that one out. Fantastic. Um, yeah, Chamber. Um, I think there may be some shorts. Oh, OK. Um, but I think this is quite a light year for me this year, with only two features. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Now... Can, can I, I cast your mind back to a, a recent, recent, reasonably recent one? So High Rise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was? Were you, were you the main sort of guy there on the special effects on that film? Was that? Is that? Yes, I was the uh, figurative and uh, creature effects designer. I didn't okay. do the prosthetic makeup effects, um, but they were very far, few and far between, to be completely honest. Um, so the dog, so the dogs were your business. Dogs, the heads, and then quite a lot of action props. Okay. So, Things that people got hit with, I had to make soft versions of. Uh, and there's a there's some there's some bits and bobs that didn't make it in the edit, um, just because you know that's the way Ben Ben is a very um, a very high shoot like he shoots a lot that may and then finds the the best version in the editing room. So you'll, oh, okay. you'll often find that stuff stuff you've made doesn't make it. Um, but yeah, we've got a lovely photograph of him with a soft BAFTA that I made. <laughs> um, <laughs> BAFTA uh, sanctioned the copying of their award, which I think is quite a rare occurrence. Oh, really? Maybe, is that, 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 that... Be... Yeah, they have to sign off on it because it's, uh, it's intellectual property rights. I they, suppose um... it is, yeah. I suppose it yeah. is. It's like wearing a T-shirt with, with a Nike yeah. tick on, isn't it, I suppose, in the end? Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, we made a, made a soft version of it for um, Peter Ferdinando's character to get bashed in the face with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. It was a, I really enjoyed that film. 
Um, that was yeah. It was a really it's a fun one to work with. I always work like uh, always like working with Ben. Um, he's a he's a fantastic um, fantastic collaborator. Is he, um, is he is he someone that wants wants to get? I guess it's the thing when you were talking before the way you were saying it, it's like it is it is film. Everyone likes to talk about film being collaboration, but I suppose for some directors there comes a limit to how many people they can collaborate with and how many people Absolutely. They, they have, you know, and it's not being cruel, it's just, you know, I need you to do this, need you to do that, and then they trust you to do a good job. As, opposed, as opposed to, I'm going to invite more headache now, because I'm going I'm to invite an opinion <laughs> that I may not, I may not be able to accommodate. Well, I think, I think um, the thing is that when you get to, to a slightly bigger project and that starts to become a worry that there are too many voices, yeah. um, you have to trust each head of department to act like uh, like a lightning rod for the ideas within their crew mm. and then they will filter the best of those yeah. and the director will act as a lightning rod for all of them so you know whether it's myself or uh, I mean you know Laurie's although he runs a department he's yeah you know, his, his his people have ideas, and then he can bring those to Ben, and you know, whoever the That's production Laurie designer, Laurie Rose, is Laurie it? Rose, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, lovely, lovely Laurie Rose, um, or you know, or the or the production designer, or the floor effects supervisor, or you know, whoever the costume mm. designer. These people will all channel the creative collective that is mm. their department, yeah. uh, and filter those to Ben. So Ben doesn't have to talk to all, you know, 150 people on the film crew. Jesus, he can he can just talk to the the 10 or 15 heads of department. It really, I mean, it, it always amazes me that, that, that it, how how it's sort of a film a film as it grows bigger, production as productions grow bigger, how film becomes sort of a cross between corporate and the military, you yeah. know, in the way that it's hierarchical and it's like a matrix. There's and very much a chain of command. Yeah, there's a chain of command, but also everything's can be incestuous at the same time if, if mood if mood suits, you know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, it doesn't have to, it's there to, 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 as a barrier, but actually the people from the top can open it up further, can't they, if they really want yeah, to happen. Course. Now, look, I, 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 I'm going to guess, and I don't want to steal the thunder of people asking on the day that people are going to ask about how to, you know, careers in and how you got <laughs> how you got to where you are. So we'll save that. The single most asked question. <laughs> exactly. So I thought I'll save you. I'll save you the 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 the, um, the headspace of answering that when you get to your, your Q and A and stuff. So for me, I'd like to ask, which might be a boring state question, but hopefully not, <laughs> is. For those people who are arming themselves now, and I'm going to use probably a crass comparison here, you know the notion of you just need three chords and you can start playing a guitar, yes, and you can form a punk band. Now, if you if you were making your first sort of go, bit a bit of gore in camera, kind of um, short film, and you were looking, you know, you're looking around YouTube for tutorials and examples elsewhere. So, what kind of like the three the three things to have in your toolbox that are going to help you? And they, they might even be mental preparedness. It doesn't have to be practical stuff. But what do you see as the three, as say, three things that are going to help you be prepared for that challenge? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, the, 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 the demo that I'm doing will actually probably be the, the, the sort of the basic entry-level okay. first three-dimensional makeup. Got you. Okay. Um, for, you know, wounds and so on. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, there, there are no, there's no answer I can give that covers the the kit that yeah. you need because it's such a wide-reaching sort of thieving industry that has taken tech from 
dentistry and shipyards and <laughs> fine art sculpture and yeah. all of these things it all come together to create the, the special effects industry. Uh, okay. um, but if you're if I'm if, if we're talking about mindset, yeah, um, then I'd say dogged determination. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a willingness to just start again and again and again at the beginning when you're first when you're first starting out and you, you it's the, the two most important things and I think one of the things that undermines a lot of the YouTube videos that you see mm. is that people say look at this thing I've done it's amazing here's my tutorial yeah and it's like you you, you can see that that's very bad and it's, and it's okay to be bad. Everyone's yeah. bad at the beginning. That's yeah. where everyone starts. The difference is, if you can tell you're bad, and you're not, you know, proudly showing your shit, <laughs> <laughs> you're saying, okay, I can see that this isn't great. Let's have a look at why it's not great. Let's keep going. Let's do it again and again and again and refine it and refine it and refine it. And, and I feel that people do try and jump in the deep end nowadays. And, and do these like big grand things that, you know, if you look at, look at, um, there's a book Dick Smith put out uh, yeah. in the 70s um, on makeup effects, and you open it and you would be forgiven for thinking that it was, it was bad. <laughs> You'd be forgiven for thinking that Dick Smith, who is, uh, you know, the undisputed godfather of modern special effects makeup, right. had produced a book on how to do bad special effects. But, but what he's actually done is he's produced a book on how to do your first special effects. Right, okay. It's essentially glorified face painting. If you go back to the, the eras of Jack Pierce and stuff, before mold making, even, before life casting, where they're building this stuff on the actors every day, like tissue paper and latex and cotton wool, you know? They don't have foam latex, they don't have gelatin, they don't have fiberglass. It's, it's the most basic, and that's the origin of the industry. And realistically, that's the best place to start. But just don't do a tutorial on it <laughs> telling everyone that you're now the new Rick Baker. <laughs> I, I feel I may have uh, scratched an itch here, Dan. I haven't realised. <laughs> <laughs> but reading read between the lines, you are, you're kind of saying, aren't you, that practice making say somebody look like they've got a black eye. Practice making yeah. somebody look like they've just been shot in the face. Yeah, I mean, nip down to Superdrug and pick up a colour wheel, you know? Yeah. Or, like, it doesn't, you don't have to go out and spend thousands of pounds on silicon and fibreglass and, and all this stuff first off, because that is, that's not just running before you can walk, that's flapping your wings and ex flapping your arms and expecting to fly before you can walk. <laughs> it's so, so far away from anything reasonable for your first job. I'm glad I asked that Colour makeup. Do, you know, stage stuff. Old age, old age just with colour. Yeah. No, I think it's, you're right. I think you're right. It's, uh, the, 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 it's, it is, the, I think the message there, I was just going to say, the, 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 sub, the sort of reading to the lines is, is the run before you can walk thing. Just quite, I think that's a very, yeah. and that's the important message because the idea that special effects has moved on is a bit like me saying I can drive a car, therefore I could beat Jensen Button. Well, I yeah. can't because I've never practiced driving a bloody Formula One. Just because I want exactly. to shouldn't mean I should have a go, kind of thing. 
Um, well, so, no, but that's, that's it. I think, I think that you're missing a, a middle ground, which is that it does mean you should have a go, but you should incrementally move towards it. Yes, sorry, yes, you're right. Yeah, I should. <laughs> I, I should have a go at just driving a car fast first before and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, no, my metaphor's not <laughs> metaphor's, like, worry, We're getting into litigious. My metaphor's not working here, so it's, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop it dead. Your, your metaphor's good, but you're going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, how do you, as uh, obviously a film fan, as well, mm. stop yourself seeing the joins. How do you enjoy a film <sighs> as someone that clearly knows how this happens? I watch, I watch animation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, without, without, I mean, can you can you name names of a of a film that you don't know anyone connected with that you that you um, let's not call. It, uh, is there a film that you recently saw where you thought, my word? I mean, for me personally. I, I, and this isn't this isn't a big this isn't necessarily effects thing, but I was watching the Tarzan movie, and I couldn't Which believe I, seen, yeah. I couldn't believe the green screen backdrop behind Tarzan on like a, 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 a an African plane, mm -hmm. where it just looked like he'd gone in a, in a shopping mall kind of green screen and made a music video. I was like, this doesn't look like a two hundred million dollar movie now. Really? Yeah, well, I, like I said, I've not seen it. I know, I know that the the creature sculpts on it are jaw dropping. Oh no, I've seen, the, I've seen those. This is the thing: the the animals and everything else. You're kind of like this is, you know, you're mind blowing. But just like something, just like the 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 vista behind him as he talks, you kind of like that. Just doesn't look. That just looks like you've saved a fifty pound or something on that. that I saw be... uh, I saw a screen grab on uh, on the internet the other day. Which was uh, a, like a fake text conversation between a, a, a director and a uh, and a movie executive, and the director says, "I want I want world class CGI," and the executive's like, "You got it," and he says, "I want a cast of thousands," and the executive says, "You got it." He says, "I want realistic family portraits." He goes, "No, no, we haven't got the money. Haven't got the money." <laughs> yeah, they are the the the, the, photo, the bad Photoshop of a. Of a pretend newspaper, you're like, why? Why can't you get that right? That seems. A... Yeah, how is that difficult? How is that the hard bit? <laughs> you can make it look like somebody's chopped my head off with a with a <laughs> scythe, yet you can't make something look convincingly like the Daily Mail. It's very weird. I mean, I guess that's to do with what they've got access to as source material. But yeah, you're completely right. It's it's really odd where the things fall apart, where you do see the joints. Um, I mean, obviously, I enjoy watching modern effectsy stuff because I love to. I love seeing what's going on, and every now and then I do get, you know, the story's good enough, and that really is all it comes down to. Is how good the story is. Yeah, no, every now and then good. I get I, the story's good enough that I get carried along with it. But to be honest, most of the stuff I enjoy, I watch a lot of like seventies stuff and like old Japanese stuff, and yeah. it's stuff where I'm not really. It doesn't really feel like it's part of the same world. Okay, okay. And that makes it much easier to to be able to turn off the the critical. I, although even then, sometimes I just go, "Oh bloody hell, that's impressive." <laughs> okay, so you can still you can still see one and, and, and be like, when it's at the kind, let's let's for sake of argument, let's call it the the sub two million pound movie. So we're not talking where money's no object. Yeah. So when you enter that world and you're watching a film and you're like, "Wow, how did they pull that off on this budget?" Kind of yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the thing that's always people are less ready to be. Um, impressed if they know that it should have been easy. Okay, okay. You know, see, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be more impressed seeing like some 16-year-old kid who's made a five-minute short film in their backyard that's done amazing stuff 
then I, I'm going to be more impressed with that than I am with something that's actually ten times technically superior in mm. a multi-million dollar film. Because they obviously, they have to do it well. It's ridiculous that they're not doing it well if they're not doing it well. But was, this kid's got nothing, and he's just pulled it out, pulled it out of thin air. One thing that really surprised me, and, and, and it, again, it's just probably down to my own naivety. I was watching uh, Doc of the Dead, the, um, the the George Romero documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't even seen that one. With, with, and they show you the scene with, um, I think it's, I can't remember which one it's from, but it's where, it's Savini's set it up and it's where a, like, a, 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 like an upside down pyramid is being dropped into a chest. Somebody oh yeah, there. from uh, Two Evil Eyes. Two Evil Eyes, that's right, yeah, that's it. I couldn't know what film it was from. And, and I just honestly took, I, it completely passed me by in terms of just consuming these films, that even that would need to be done over and over. I was watching it, I was frustrated for him. Because he'd, he'd set it up and it'd click and fall and blood splat and he'd go, do it again. And you're like, wow. So how, do you, how do you keep hold of that patience in... Well, I mean, to be completely honest, like, nowadays when you budget, you budget for a set number of takes. Mm. You can't, you can't just go, oh yeah, no, and we'll do that an infinite number of times. Okay, okay. Because, because you have to have made enough of whatever it is to, to be able to do it. Like, you know, you can't... So I'll say, OK, well, look, I've only got three skins for the chest, or I've only got five skins for the chest. OK. So we okay. Can't, can't do it an infinite number of times. So that is a, that's a conversation that's been had before. So when you get to set, you know how many times you might have to do it. To be honest, it's more frustrating, and this has happened to me, if you do it two times, and it's not... You know it can be better. Yeah. But then they're going, yeah, got, sorry, we're running a bit late, guys. We're just going to move on. And he's like, no, 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 come on, we've got another four. Let's do, let's do at least another one. <laughs> Oh, right, okay. We, we budgeted. Okay. We, you've paid for it. Let's just do it. And they're like, yeah, but we ran over before lunch, so we're going we're gonna to have to drop out of this. Sorry. Oh, wow. Well. But, but it, could be, it could be better. I'm feeling we for you. We always knew feeling... it was... Yeah. Now, one question that sprung up, and it's got... I didn't come to this. It's only after you... When you were describing something earlier on, where you said that uh, special effects are sort of robbed from all kinds of disciplines and esoteric yeah. worlds to bring kit and... and, and equipment and tools into your job. Can you give me what you think is probably the most esoteric thing that has been taken from to be used in special effects? Because you mentioned dentistry and I was like, okay, tell me more. <laughs> well, I mean, dentistry is, it, the, what has been taken from dentistry is probably more pedestrian than, and less outlandish than you might think. Okay, it's just that we, we quite regularly have to make teeth for things. Okay, okay. And so that technology exists out there, but instead of making dentures for, you know, a chap who's lost his front teeth, we're making teeth for a you know, half wolf, half owl thing that someone's imagined. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, when I was when I was um, when I was young, I was lucky enough to 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 meet a, a chap called Harry Lang, who was a model designer. Okay. Um, whose wife was a friend of my mother's, and I would go round to their house when my mum was having uh, lunch. <laughs> and Harry, who designed he designed all the miniature effects for two thousand and one. Wow. He was, uh, he was a NASA designer, NASA engineer, um, who had been headhunted by Kubrick for 2001 and then sort of stayed in the film world. So he had all this amazing stuff in this old airstream in his garden. Yeah. Um, he's no longer with us, sadly. But, um, but talking to him about, like, the tenets of design yeah. and, and stuff, his, his first advice, I was very young, his first advice was, 
you know, there's there's loads of go go to a, a boatyard and and get the kit for fiberglassing and play around with that and find a dentist who'll give you alginate for life casting and and talk to you about resins and plasters and and that was that was really useful. I did literally that. I, I lived in Winchester at the time, my parents as a child, and and I found a private dental clinic that had a dental technicians attached to it. And mm. sure enough, they let me um. And let me sort of go and sit in and talk to me about doing dental impressions and gave me some alginate and gave me some plaster and I played around with that. And they were just getting UV cure resins at the time, so I got to play with that as well, which was a new technology for them. That was exciting. And I got an old shop mannequin that a shop in my town was throwing away and I decided to try and make a fiberglass mould out of it with some fiberglass I got from the boating yard down in Southampton and made a terrible mess of it and destroyed my mum's good scissors. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, just sort of kept on trying kept on playing with new stuff and it's yeah that's that's it <laughs> it's just it's all everything all, all of these places we, we steal stuff and, and yeah steal. I, suppose, I suppose it's no just because it ends up in a film in fact when you're working on whatever it is you're making you're you are effectively making some sort of sculpture even if it's on somebody or, oh, yeah. or it's to go on somebody it's essentially if, if it never went anywhere but your table it would be an object, wouldn't it, that you could yeah, put on a piece exactly. of Exactly. It, it starts as, it might start as a sculpt on a life cast, or it might start as a freestanding sculpture. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's an object that we've created. Uh, it just happens to be in a material that's replicating the look of, you know, skin or whatever. Wow. Well, look, sir, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I feel I've only just about touched the surface, so um, I'm sure you're going to get <laughs> well, we can, a lot... We can do another one one day if you want. No, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll definitely do that. Um, we'll maybe do it around a, um, a, a film release show on or something. That might be fun. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, maybe we'll do one before Free Fire comes out, or maybe we'll do one after Free Fire comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be excellent. That'd be excellent. Um, be so let's one. remind people, then, you're doing a career in special effects on Sunday the 28th, and that's yes, in Discovery Screen 3 at 7pm. Yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. It's Thank been an absolute pleasure. Too. Nice one. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes. Hey, what's going on? If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we release it. Or follow at Ritflix on Twitter for links to stream from on the website. This has been a Ritflix Flightfest Preview Podcast 2016. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes 
ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.